adult book industry. Did you know that it was a $10 billion per year industry? Like that's how many self-help books are, are spent and sold every year in an effort for people to have a change in their life. And you know what's really interesting? Do you know who the most likely person is to buy a self-help book? The person who recently bought one, okay? They're the most likely person to buy another one to get help. Now, I don't know, that, that kind of tells me something about how helpful the self-help books might really be, right? If they have to keep buying ones to get more help. But it also tells me something about what we all really need in our lives, that this, it's not enough just to have a little help. We need a change in our life, something powerful enough to change the trajectory and how we live. And we all need that for our everyday life. See, that's why we're here today to celebrate. We're celebrating the power of Jesus' resurrection, the power of his life to change your life. Now, he had a lot of encounters with people, and we're going to look at a few of those today. Right after he was rose from the dead, right after he was resurrected, he had a few encounters with people, and it changed the trajectory of their life. And it still does today. Hundreds and thousands of people over the course of history have had their life changed through their interaction and their encounter with Jesus. It's happened time and time again. We have a big, this big round thing over here. This is our baptismal tank. We, have, we just did a whole bunch of baptisms in first service. It was awesome. It's a way of declaring that Jesus has changed my life, and I want to publicly declare it. It happened all the time when people would say, listen, I, I, am, I want Jesus in my life. They experienced the power of Jesus, and then they made a decision. They responded to it. They said, I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to make a public declaration that Jesus can change your life, that I believe that he really was resurrected, and the resurrected Christ has the power to change my life too. So that's what baptism is all about, and we're going to do that today. And we have this thing we call open baptisms, which means we have people that sign up, and we also just open it up. Anyone today, in the next 30 minutes, you might make a decision. You might say, I, you know what, I've never done that. I've never taken that next step. Maybe you've already been following Jesus. Maybe today is your day. But in either case, we want to make it possible for you to make that decision today and respond to Jesus. So here's the question that we're going to answer today, okay? In the next 30 minutes, I want to answer this question. What does the fact that Jesus overcame death and sin, what does the fact that he was resurrected on Easter Sunday, what does that have to do with you and me in our everyday lives? I think that's a pretty fair question. You may have come here today going, yeah, I don't know. And so today, we want to, I want to talk to you about that because it happened a long time ago. It's easy to think of it just as a story, but it's not just a story. It's something that has a lot of power. And the fact that we don't walk hand in hand with Jesus in our day today doesn't make him less powerful. It doesn't make him more distant. It doesn't make him less available. In fact, the fact that he is resurrected means that, according to him and his promise to us, that through his spirit, we actually have him as our source of life. His life itself can be infused into your life to change you. He's not just your friend. He's someone who can resurrect and change you from the inside out. And that's what Jesus wants to tell you over the next 30 minutes. Now, if I were to tell you, like, so I know over the next 30 minutes, one of the things that's going to happen is it's going to get close to 12 o'clock, and you're going to start thinking about the ham that is baking in the oven, okay? I get that. So in case you zone out, I just want to give you the bottom line up front of what we're talking about. So if you miss that during the rest of the message, you'll have this to go home with, okay? Here it is. Jesus today is inviting you to respond. He has an invitation for you to respond. And if I had to boil down my last 20 years of following Jesus. 
everything that I've learned, and I've, you know, and I've gone to seminary, and I've learned lots of theology, I've learned all this stuff, and if I had to boil down all of that complexities into one single thing, the essence of what it means to be a Christian, to have Jesus lead you, it's this. Are you ready? Jesus invites you, and you respond. That's it. Don't make it more complex than that. That is it. Jesus offers you an invitation, whether it's reading the scripture or living your life, whether it means praying or relating to someone that's your friend. Jesus always have an invitation out there, a different way to live, a different way to work, a different way to have him be in your life. And your challenge is how will you respond? That's it. That is it. Now, I believe that based on the story that we're going to read today and my own experience, that there are three really important things that stand out to us, a different way of living that Jesus is going to invite you to today, and you have to choose how you're going to respond. The first, he's going to invite us to lasting joy. He's going to invite us to unexplainable peace, and he's going to invite us to a confidence of our faith. And so if you get out your outline today, I want to talk about these three markers and how they can transform your life if you choose to respond to them. And if you let Jesus the resurrected Christ, respond in you to them. And I think those are markers of authentic relationship with Jesus that changes you and changes everybody around you. So you can pull out this little brown outline in your program guide today. It'll help you follow along, and it has some of the scriptures in there as well. So let's get started today. Let's answer this question. What's Jesus inviting us to? He's inviting us to a life first of lasting joy, of lasting joy. Now, I want you to understand today something about the resurrection. When Jesus was resurrected and this this idea of lasting joy that comes from the power of the resurrection, this is about not just us being at our best, but it's about when things aren't at their best, there's still something inside of us that sees the best, that sees what's happening. Now, here's what I mean by that. I think lasting joy is something that is deeply seated within us. This idea of lasting joy is more like this deep sense of well-being, like this deep sense of well-being down deep within you where you feel like, I belong. I'm not an outsider. I, I, I truly belong. And that's the kind of lasting joy that Jesus wants to give you. It goes way beyond our circumstances like, hey, something good happened, so I got joy. It goes way beyond that. It goes into this place of being deeply connected to trusting in the person that Jesus is that he is God, that he is at work, and that he is resurrected and that has the power to change everything. So I want to explore the story of the resurrection this morning and a couple of the people that Jesus interacted with, but I think it's good for you to have the backstory first, like what's happening. So we're going to read from John 20 this morning. We're going to just explore a few encounters Jesus had. Now, John, the gospel of John was written by a man named John who followed Jesus. And in fact, he calls himself like the love, the one Jesus loved. Like they had a really tight friendship, okay? They were really close. And so he writes the gospel, and his intention of writing this story called the Gospel of John is that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was resurrected from the dead, and that he can change your life. That's what he says right up front. That's the reason I'm writing the story. So John chapter 20 tells us about three encounters. Now, right before we get into the story, uh, the video kind of highlighted some of these things earlier, and that's that Jesus had three and a half half years of ministry on the earth where, man, there were miracles being done. People were amazed by him. People at one point were like, hey, you need to be king. Let's just declare it right now. And then a week later, he was crucified. He was put to death. He died a horrible death, one in which like unexplicable pain, like it it was horrible. He was tortured before he died. He was crucified on a cross like a criminal. And in essence, he had become one because according to the scriptures, Jesus 
says God laid all of our iniquities, our guilt, our shame, all of it was laid on Jesus, and he carried the weight of that on the cross so that we could be forgiven and free. Okay, so this is what happens. Now, here's what's going on, though. When he's crucified, all of his closest friends, 12 of his closest friends that have been with him and seen all these miracles, they split. They're out of there. They totally abandon him, okay? So he is on his own. He has seen it all go down. And then after he's buried, this guy comes along named Joseph Arimathea. He asks for the body of Jesus, and they wrap it in cloth, okay? So they wrap him all up because they're going to put him in the tomb. And as a part of that experience now, it's in Jewish custom. Saturday was Sabbath, okay? Jesus was crucified on Friday. So they, they had to get the body of Jesus, and they wrapped it, and they didn't have time to do the normal burial ceremony where they would put perfume on it and spices and do all that before they put it in the tomb. And so they got the body, they wrapped it head to toe, sealed it in the tomb, rolled a stone over it. The Jewish leaders asked the Roman centurions to guard the tomb because they knew that those followers would come along and steal the body and act like it was, a, it was you know, all the stuff that happened, okay? So the Roman soldiers are posted. A coal guard is posted at the gate to make sure that doesn't happen. Saturday rolls through. People, man, they're just, they are totally overwhelmed by all of this. And then Sunday comes. And Sunday morning, a lady named Mary Magdalene some other gals who are very devoted to Jesus come to the tomb because they want to finish this burial ceremony. Only when they get there, the stone, stone's not in place. And the guards are like frozen because angels had come to show up to tell them that Jesus had been resurrected. Like, where, why are you looking here? And so they are, but they're just overwhelmed by all of this. And they, see, they saw Jesus die. So they just can't even picture that any of this could possibly happen. So they're just, they're weeping. And so one of them, Mary Magdalene, runs back to the disciples, to the rest of them, finds Peter and John, who are some of this tight, like they're the leaders and the disciples. And he says, this is what happened. They stole his body. He's not there. And they all run back together. And Peter and John go in. And, and it's not just that they stole his body. Something even weirder than that has happened. Because had they stolen his body, there would be nothing left. The tomb would be totally empty. But it's not. All the cloths that they wrapped him in are still there. And according to what it says in the scripture, they weren't just there. They were still wrapped in the same way as if someone had been wrapped in them. So it wasn't like he just, someone took the body. It wasn't like he unwrapped himself. It was like he evaporated through the thing. By the way, this is the difference between being resuscitated and resurrected. In case you were wondering if you've ever been like, which is going to happen? Like, this is the promise of Jesus. Like, we will be changed to be like him in the same way that he was changed. So they don't know what to think. Peter and John go back home, and Mary Magdalene is left at the tomb. She is just overwhelmed. She is weeping. The only thing on her mind is Jesus, who she devoted her life to, and now he's gone. This is where the story picks up in John chapter 20, verse 15. It says, Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. And when he said it, she turned to him, and she cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. In other words, in that moment when he says Mary, she recognizes that this is Jesus, and she is overwhelmed. And the story goes on to say how she clung to him and hugged him. Because I think... At the tomb, 
before this moment happened, what Mary was thinking was, not just I lost Jesus, I'm on my own. I'm on my own. I thought, I thought there was hope, but now it's been gone. I'm on my own again. I've got to figure out life on my own without any help. You see, if you look back in some of the other stories of Jesus in the Gospels, you will find the name Mary Magdalene and is associated with this, that when Jesus met her, she was insane. She was declared insane. She was delivered from seven demons. You see, when no one else believed in Mary, Jesus did. When no one else would go close to Mary, Jesus did. When no one else would offer healing to Mary, Jesus did. She wasn't alone. And she knew that. She knew what had happened. She had encountered Jesus, and he had changed her life. And in that moment, she had realized, this is what I want again. Now, we all suffer from some of what Mary suffers from, feeling alone in the world, right? Like feeling like those times in your life where you just feel kind of alone, like no one understands me. No one gets what I'm going through. No one's experiencing quite what I'm experiencing. And whether that sadness comes from just a sense of loss, like maybe you've lost someone or you lost something, something that you had hoped for and you can't have, or maybe a season of life that is now past and you can't get it. What we all have in common is this. When difficult times come in our life and you experience it, and we all have this in common, we're easily manipulated by them. We fall victim to them because We hear this voice. We're an easy victim to, whether it's really tough circumstances or easy, when things go wrong in our life, we are easy victims to these voices of curse in our life that we believe. You're all alone. You don't belong. You're not good enough. I'll love you if. You'll be accepted when. If only you were as good as. Do you recognize these voices? I bet you've all heard them. So maybe some of you, someone said them. Or maybe some of you, you just endured the circumstance that you heard it through. And when that circumstance happened, that's exactly the kind of words that have come to your life because we all have this in common, that we suffer from this great spiritual illness called self-rejection. Reject the person that God has created us to be. And you see, the resurrected Christ speaks this into our encounter. When he spoke to Mary, the reason she finally recognized him, it wasn't, he didn't say just Mary to get her attention. He was saying, Mary, I see you. I know who you are, and I love you, and you are the beloved. You are loved by me. You are not rejected. You belong. You're not rejected. You are accepted and valuable to me. And I did all of the stuff that I did on the cross with your name on my lips. And I've seen every sin you've committed and everything that you've ever done wrong. And I knew it when I was on the cross. And I know it now. And I love you anyway. Mary. And he says it to you today. The same voice of blessing is the resurrected Christ in your life. That's why his resurrection is so important. He is not dead. He is alive to speak this blessing over you every single day of your life, a gentle voice that blesses you, that says, I love you, that says, won't you, won't you be satisfied to feel this, have this deep longing to be at home with yourself, finally satisfied by having me in your life? And that's the lasting joy of the resurrection, that we are not alone, 
That when bad circumstances and suffering and loss and sorrow and things come our way, instead of them speaking these words of curse over our life, what we hear instead is Jesus in the background saying, I love you. No matter if this comes or how this turns out, sorrow and suffering, they're not the end. We often see them at the end like, oh, this is all I can see. They are not the end. They are the beginning of something new of something new that Jesus can do through you and in you. They're they're really just a voice calling out saying, didn't you see that you've been missing me all along? That you've always longed for me. And here I am to speak this blessing over your life again. Now, I remember uh, a few weeks ago um, on Thursday, on Facebook, tradition of Throwback Thursday, you know, so there there was this picture posted on Facebook. And it was a friend of mine, someone that I remembered this picture. It brought back a lot of memories. It's of Melissa Guzik at her baptism. Now, this is Melissa. And Melissa is now our children's director here at Good Hope Road. But see, I remember this because I've journeyed with Melissa for a long time now. I still remember her first days at daybreak. I still have the privilege of walking with her in some of those things. I remember her coming as a single mom. I remember her coming and telling me some of her story, feeling very much alone, feeling very much like I wasn't loved, feeling very much like I don't belong. I don't know how to find my way in this. And then on that day, I remember her words of saying, I have this joy. Pastor Sean should say, I I have this joy in me because I know that I belong to the Father now. I know what Jesus has done in my life, and I continue to see it working. No matter whatever circumstances come my way, I know I can trust him with it. I remember that day. So that's what baptism is all about. It's that declaration of I know to whom I belong, and it is good. And even now today, like I've, I've watched her now, she's, she's married an incredibly awesome man. They have children now. She has grown in faith and she leads and invests into people on a regular basis now because she heard the invitation of Jesus. And she chose to respond. And this is all of our choice. We can't control all the circumstances that come our way, but we can ask, we can control when they were asked how we respond. How will you choose to respond this morning? That's, that's what's up to you. And so, not only does Jesus offer us this lasting joy, but wait, there's more. Okay? Now, I know you got, it's like the commercial. But wait, there's more. It's not just lasting joy that Jesus offers us. There's even more to it. So, I want to talk to you about the second encounter that he has in which he offers us an unexplainable peace. He offered this to the disciples. Now, I don't know if you've ever met someone with an unexplainable peace. You know, the kind of person that when circumstances go hairy and get crazy and the train comes off the tracks, they don't seem to be rattled by it. When everyone else is freaking out, they seem to be calm. And you're like, what is going on? It's not like, it's not like they're smoking dope and they don't know what's going on. Like, you know, they know what's going on. They're just not rattled by it. I mean, I, I've had the privilege as a pastor of being in the hospital or being by someone's deathbed as they're dying and to see this incredible peace. And I've been on both sides when there's not been peace. There's something about Jesus that brings incredible peace. And it brings peace to people around them too. And it's unexplainable. Now, if you've ever felt like, yeah, I've seen those people. I kind of wish I was those people. But I don't know that I've been those people. It's okay. Because some of the closest friends and followers of Jesus have been right in your shoes and have experienced that same thing. And so we're going to jump in right now and we're going to look at them for a second because here's what happened. They, they all, they found out Jesus was resurrected, but they hadn't seen him. They hadn't talked to him. 
And they saw the Jewish leaders kill him, and they were fairly certain that Sunday evening when the news came in the morning that they were being hunted as well, and so were their families, and they were in great danger. And so this is where we find them in John chapter 20, verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind a locked door because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was among them. And he, peace be with you, he said. Now, you can picture this, right? These guys are scared to death. And I don't know if, like, the smoke bomb went off and he showed up or, like, if he was like this, like, he was like ninja, right? Like, he snuck up and just kind of pulled his hood back. And they're like, whoa, it's Jesus. How did he get there? I don't know where he came. I don't know how it all happened, but I do know this. In the midst of their fear, in the midst of feeling hunted and, like, their life was in danger and they were panicked, in the midst of totally being rattled, Jesus says, peace be with you, and they realized that the resurrected Jesus was in their presence, and none of the rest of that mattered anymore. None of the rest of it was important anymore. It was just something that happened. It was like, Joe, you know, I know they're still hunting us. It's not like that has gone away, but it doesn't matter anymore because Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has conquered sin. We know for certain that what's on the line is more than just the here and now. We know what's possible now through the power of the resurrected Christ. And none of that mattered anymore. And this is the kind of peace that God wants to give us. This is the kind of peace that he proves to us. I am for you. I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you. I'm for you. And I've done all of this so that you would know it and that you could live it. Now, we all, we all fear things, right? Like, we have this in common with disciples. We, we all get afraid, and we worry about things. Things come up, and we're like, oh, what's going to be the outcome of that? And they can be big things or little things. Sometimes it's something like failure. Like, we are afraid to fail, and it drives us, or it freezes us and locks us up, and we can't do anything with it. Some of us are afraid of being alone, so we never like to be alone, and we're, we're always trying to grasp at straws to not be alone. We even turn the TV and the radio on every place we are so that we can pretend we're not alone because that person, like, act like that person's on TV is in the room with us. Thanks, Matt Lauer, for being in my bedroom this morning while I'm getting up, right? Like, I, you know, I, whatever it is, we, we have these fears. Some of us are afraid of, like, the dentist, right? We're, I, and, and everybody knows it because you smile and they go, whoo, wow, right? Like some of us are afraid of, like I know some of you guys secretly are afraid of spiders and you scream like a little girl and run away out of the room and your wife has to kill the spider. It's okay. Like I, we all have fears, okay? We all have fears. Here's the thing about fears. Fears tend to enslave us, right? They lock you up and you get in a gridlock and you can't move forward or backwards. You get stuck because you're afraid. They are overwhelming to us. And this is the life that God wants to set you free from because he has good things in store for you. He has an incredibly planned for your life, but you don't want to miss it because you're afraid. Now, here's my thing. I'm afraid of snakes. I don't like them at all. And my wife takes total advantage of this, and she'll like take little snakes and put them in the bed. So when I crawl into bed, there's a snake there, just so she can see me scream like a girl and jump out of bed, okay? Because this is, I, just, I hate snakes. I grew up in the country on a farm, and I remember people saying, well, black snakes are really good. You want black snakes? So I'm like, I don't want black snakes. I don't want any snake around ever. The only good snake is a dead snake. That's it, okay? And so I do not like snakes at all. Zero, zilch, none. So... This summer, um, I, I decided to go on a mission trip to Ecuador in the jungle. Apparently, there's snakes there. 
I don't like snakes. Have I mentioned this to you before? I mean, I picture myself waking up and putting on my boot and having what, a snake in my boot, okay? Not even picture biting it. I'm just like so appalled by the fact that my foot touched a snake that I'm like hopping on one foot out and like, you know, stepping on other snakes. Like I just picture the whole thing coming down upon me. And yet when I decided to go to Ecuador, I had to make a choice. I knew Jesus wanted me to go and I had to decide. Will I let my fear of snakes keep me in the place that God wants me to be? He's inviting me. He's not forcing me. He's just inviting me. Am I going to be frozen by fear? Am I going to move forward? Now, that's, that's, a, that's just one thing. You know, snakes are just one thing. But what if your fear of moving forward keeps you from having the relationship in your life that God wants you to have? What if your fear of whatever it is keeps you from taking a risk to take that next step in your job or your mission, your career, whatever it is, that God wants to free you and let you enjoy. What if fear is locking you up and keeping you and you're addicted to something, you're something's in your life, and you're just so afraid you can't break free? What if fear does one of those things for you? Here's the good news. Jesus is alive, and he is more powerful now than he has ever been to free you from your fear. He is better than any self-help book you can ever buy, any psychologist you can ever pay, because Jesus is alive. He's not dead. And the power of the resurrection means you have access to that kind of power in your life. But you have to listen to his invitation, and you have to decide how I respond. How are you going to respond? Now, I want that in my everyday life. Just because I want to live my everyday life like Jesus really was risen from the dead so that whatever comes my life, my way, instead of worrying about it, I entrust it to Jesus. And I say, Jesus, I don't want to be locked up by this. I want to follow you in it. It doesn't mean everything's going to go perfectly, but it does mean that God is at work behind the scenes even when I can't see him. And that's good news. God's not mad at me. He's not, he's not going, see, I told you. There is nothing that I can do to mess up so badly that Jesus can't redeem. And that is especially good news for me. And it's especially good news for you. So Jesus invites you to this life of peace, to this life of unexplainable peace, and to this life of lasting joy. But some of you might be here this morning and you say, that's good, that sounds really good, but I still have some doubts. Some things in me that have some doubts. Just a little skeptical about this whole thing. And so I want to talk to you this morning about What do we do with our doubts when we come to Jesus and how Jesus offers us also a confident faith? So let's just talk about this idea of a confident faith. Now, we all have some questions, and it's okay. It's okay to have some doubts. In fact, if you came here this morning as a skeptic or with some doubts, I just want to let you know that's okay with me. It's totally okay with me. It's okay that that's where you are. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you don't have to feel alone because one of Jesus' followers, one of the guys who saw him do miracle after miracle after miracle, was a skeptic. He was a skeptic. Jesus wasn't afraid that he was a skeptic. In fact, Jesus didn't blow him off because he was a skeptic. Jesus came and met him in his skepticism. His name was Thomas, and I don't know if you have ever heard this saying before, a doubting Thomas, but this is where we get it. Thomas was one of Jesus' followers in the close circle of 12 guys he invested in in a very deep basis, and he was a skeptic. And so when Jesus had shown himself to everybody else, when Jesus had appeared in all these ways and done these miracles, we find Thomas amongst the other disciples saying, 
you guys might believe, but I'm not believing. No way am I believing. Not going to do it. Not going to happen unless I, I, I put my finger like in the holes in his wrists. Unless I could put my hand in, I saw that I saw where they cut. I saw where it burst down. It's got spurs. Unless I put my hand in there, I don't. I'm not gonna believe. That ain't gonna happen. And so we pick up in John chapter twenty, verse twenty-seven, and Jesus shows up. And this is what he says. Then Jesus said to Thomas, "Put your finger here." Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound of my side. You think in that moment, Thomas was a little sorry that he had proposed those ideas. Ooh, like he's, I mean, I think Tom, the other disciples were like, oh, can't look, can't look. Don't do it, Thomas. Put your hand in my side and don't be faithless anymore. Believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. You see, Thomas had doubts. He was a skeptic. It was probably maybe even his natural way. And you might be here this morning and thought there was no room for any of your doubts. And yet Jesus didn't say, can't believe you don't believe. After all that we've been through, forget it. No, Jesus showed up, said Thomas. Thomas, here I am. Just believe. Don't, don't doubt anymore about all those other things. I know you doubt about many things, but just believe. Now, here's the real message underneath that message. Behind all of our intellectual doubts, here's what I found. It's not just an intellectual doubt. It's usually an emotional doubt. And here's what I believe was going on with Thomas. Jesus had showed up to everybody else. Thomas wasn't really sure what kind of relationship he had with Jesus, and so Thomas had, Jesus didn't show up with him. And Thomas, what he was really saying is, it's not just, I won't believe unless I do that. He was also saying, at the same time, I won't believe unless Jesus actually shows up for me. Because I know that he loves other people, but I don't know if he loves me. I know that he could invoke his power for other people. I've seen him do it, but I don't know if he'll do it for me. And when Jesus showed up, what he was really saying to Thomas is, Thomas, stop doubting. I knew your name too, and I loved you just as deeply. So stop doubting. Now, I know that through the course of history, this is true. No one else has ever predicted their death and resurrection and pulled it off. No one has even claimed it besides Jesus. History documents it. People have died for it because they believed it. These guys that followed him, they didn't just like, oh, well, okay, we made all that up. They died. They were crucified. They died horrible deaths because of it. But here's the thing. There are a lot of things you might struggle and doubt and go, I don't know what to do with all of that. And the one thing and the only thing that Jesus requires is this. Will you believe There's maybe a thousand ancillary things that you doubt. The only question that matters is Jesus is inviting you this morning. Will you believe that I believe in you? Will you believe that I am God? That I did all of that with your name on my lips? Will you believe in me? And if we start there, everything can change. Now, here's the thing. My my kids are turning 16 today, okay? And uh, it's their birthday. I have twins. And uh, so you can wish them, if you know them, you can wish them a happy birthday. That will embarrass them. And since they've done such a good job doing that up till now in their teenage years, I owe it to them. So say say happy birthday to them. Um, They turned 16 today. Now, you know what that means. It means you're all in danger. And I've been teaching them a little bit about 
cars, you know, how to, how to drive the car a little bit. We've been in the parking lots and driving around the house, and um, they don't know a lick about how a car works. They don't. Like, they don't know what happens when you turn the ignition over. They don't know about the electrical currents that go to certain places and the pistons that fire and the combustion that happens and how the fuel pump runs. They don't know any of that. They only know this, that the key is in their hand, and all they have to do is turn it. The key is in your hand. His name is Jesus, and all you have to do is turn it. That's all it takes is trusting him. Now, I think you all know this morning that you're here, you showed up. I think you know already that self-help strategies and coping mechanisms are not enough. They're not enough. And this morning, you have a choice. You have to decide, how am I going to respond to Jesus this morning? He's invited me. How am I going to respond? What am I going to do with that? Am I going to live in a bubble and pretend the world's all great, nothing ever bad happens, and it won't happen to me? Am I going to, am I going to just resign that this is just the way life is and keep living it that way? Or am I going to respond to Jesus, to the fact that he chose you, that he loves you, that he knows you by name, that he says, you do belong. Will you come back? Will you let me lead you? Will you let me pour my life into you? This is your choice. Can you imagine your life when circumstances came your way that rocked your world? You weren't freaked out by them because you have a lasting joy a sense of well-being that you know to whom you belong. Can you imagine if your life was such that when you had things that were just worrying you and rocking you and you didn't know what to do with them and there was loss and grief, if you knew that God was at work behind the scenes and you had a confidence in that, that you could, a peace that you could say, you know what, I have such a peace and I want to live this way. In the midst of a world that has chaos, I have peace and I need it. Can you imagine in your life If instead of doubts holding you back, if you could just set down your doubts for a minute and entrust yourself to a God who truly and deeply loves you, whose name is Jesus, and have a joyful confidence in God to confidently move forward. This is what Jesus is inviting you to this morning. It's what I'm inviting you to. And so this morning, you have that choice. And the alternative is continue to feel lonely, continue to go on by yourself, continue to feel disconnected, continue to feel powerless to change. It's your choice. Or you respond to Jesus, and you open your life to something totally new and good. The resurrected Jesus wants us for you this morning. So here's what I want to offer to do this morning. I'm going to pray. And um, over the next few minutes when I pray, I'm going to offer you the opportunity to respond. Okay? And here's how. I don't want this to be awkward or odd or weird. I just want it to be a sacred moment between you and Jesus. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to just introduce each one of these ideas again. And if you feel like, I need that in my life this morning, I want to respond to Jesus this morning, you can just raise your hand because I want to be able to look out over you and pray for you. Okay, so I'm just going to pray a prayer from Scripture over you. So I'll offer each one. While everybody's head's bowed, you just raise your hand. I'll pray over you, and then we'll move on to the next one, and I'll pray that over you as well, okay? So let's, let's start this morning. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. This morning, if you sense that that joy is missing from your life, you don't have a lasting joy. You felt very much alone, very much on your own. Those voices of curse have spoke far too often into your life. And you need to know this morning that you belong, that you are loved and accepted.
accepted and forgiven. And this prayer is for you, and you can just, where you are this morning, just, just put up your hand. I'm going to pray this prayer over you. Okay, so let me pray this prayer over you this morning. Psalm 30 says that weeping may come for the night, but because of God's favor on you, joy will come in the morning. So no matter the losses that you grieve, Lord Jesus, I pray that no matter how much people feel rejected this morning, may each person in this room, Jesus, feel what your resurrection reminds us of. You are, and I speak these words as Jesus would speak them to you, you are forgiven, you are accepted, you are loved, and you are blessed. May you feel that this morning as you accept and respond to Jesus' invitation. Thank you, Jesus. With your heads bowed, I just want to offer this next thing of peace, unexplainable peace. Maybe you've had a lot of fear in your life. Maybe you related to that idea of like, I've been locked up. I have not been able to move forward. I worry a lot. I, I'm consumed by those things, and I want a peace in my life. And that's you. you just try where you are. Put your hand up right now. I want to be able to pray over you. Psalm four, or from Philippians 4.7, this is what it says. May God's peace that goes beyond anything you can imagine guard your thoughts and your emotions through Christ Jesus. Jesus, wash away the fears in this room today. Melt them with your love. Give us new courage not to worry, not to feel like we're alone, not to feel powerless, but to know that the power of the resurrected Christ is in us and for us. And so today we put our trust in you. We accept your invitation to have an unexplainable peace in our lives. Peace be to you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, for those of you who might be sitting in the room with your heads bowed, and you're thinking, listen, I, Sean, I've got lots of doubts. I came as a skeptic. There are things in my life I don't know what to do with. I didn't even know I could admit that this morning, but it's nice to know that Jesus isn't looking down on me because I have them. Whatever they are, if that's where you are this morning and you would like a more confident faith, then you can just put up your hand this morning and I'm going to pray that over you. This is what Jesus said to Thomas and I say it to you. Do not doubt. My love for you has been proven on the cross. I did all of that with your name on my mind and on my lips. So believe. Jesus, you alone have the authority to forgive our sins, and I pray that you would, and I pray that you, your voice of blessing would speak over our lives. And no matter what our doubts are, Jesus, will you help us to set them down even now? Because you are amazing. Help our unbelief. Help us to simply trust that you are who you said you are. You have done what you said you did, and you'll do it again, again, and again. And now, Jesus, I pray this for all of us. Grant us a lasting joy this Easter, an unexplainable peace, and a joyful confidence. Lead our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we, this morning, as I end this message, I want to offer this opportunity for you to respond. Um, I talked to you about it earlier, about baptism. Baptism is just a declaration of faith, a declaration of like, listen, I want to trust Jesus. I'm in. And I, I'm, you may have never done it before. We maybe made a decision this morning. You say, I want to take a next step. In the, in the early New Testament, when someone would follow Jesus or make that declaration, 
if there was water nearby, they would immediately say, can I be baptized? Can I make this public declaration that I'm in? And so this morning, you might be here and you might be thinking about that. So I just want to let you know that if you're here today and you've made some of the decisions, you're thinking about it, but you don't, you're wondering some things. Like, you're wondering, I'm not sure I'm ready. I want to assure you, this is just an outward sign of an inward transaction. It's a sacred moment where you publicly declare and hear God's voice. It's, I'm in. And he says, I'm, I bless you. I love you. That's all it is. Today, this morning, if you say, listen, I'm, I don't want to make a speech. I want to let you know you don't have to make a speech. Pastor John will meet you right outside those worship center doors. And if you're even thinking about it, I want to encourage you. Just If you're thinking about it during this next song, you can go out and meet him. He's in an orange shirt, and he's bald. Okay, like he has less hair than me. Okay, so, and he's younger. Just, just want to throw that out there. And so, he'll be out there, and he will talk you through it. He'll make a speech. You don't have to say a word. Maybe you swear you're like, yeah, but I, I got my Easter clothes on. I didn't bring a change of clothes. I didn't bring a towel. We want to let you know we got that covered. We've changed the clothes. We have some towels, and we'll make it possible for you. We don't want anyone to go without this morning. This possibility and opportunity. And maybe you say, well, maybe I'm too young. Well, if you're 12 or 17, just ask your parent. Just talk to them about it before you go. And this morning, if you go, oh, I'm not a member of this church, it's okay. This is not about being a member of a church. This is about being a member of God's family and saying, I'm in, and making a public declaration about it. And so this morning, um, I'm going to give you this opportunity. During this next song, just get up. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't keep yourself from responding to God. Just get up, and you can go right outside those doors. If you're just thinking about it, John will talk with you about it out there, and you can take care of that this morning, and uh, we will declare that as good, okay? And so I just want to give you that opportunity this morning, so consider that during the next song, and um, we'll come back, and we'll sing some worship songs, then we'll revisit that at that time. So take some time now to worship, and if that's where you are, don't hesitate. Go ahead during this song.